Well, good morning, church family, as you have a seat. I am Marquis Jackson. I am uh, the lead elder here at Copper Hills. He, he likes to do that. He likes to do that. And uh, I'm, I'm truly, truly excited about this opportunity to stand before you because this is a really exciting day for us. And it's the culmination of great prayer and planning between the elders and the staff on what's next regarding the vision and the mission of this church in this community. And this is the launch of something truly exciting as in the next chapter uh, associated with our mission to help each other increasingly think like and be mistaken for our Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, this building, this, this community is uh, developed as a strategic tool for us to be able to communicate with each other in different ways, from the coffee shop to the center of the arts to right after church and things of that nature. But the Lord has other visions for us, and I'm so proud of where we're headed, and, I'm, and we're here to announce the next phase of this mission. And we're going to take a pause on the, the, the strange new world discussion that we've had over the, uh, the last couple of weeks, a powerful such a powerful message for us, and uh, in, in particular in these days and times. And, and Pastor Brad is here to share that next step of vision of how we got here and what that next phase looks like and how you can help. So thank you for your time. That's great. Hey, well done. I thought you were going to mess that up, but you did pretty good. Thank you. That's not bad. Uh, hey, welcome to our online family you're watching this morning or maybe a little later this week. We're glad that you're joining that way. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Copper Hills, and I'm glad to welcome you. Uh, I'm going to be out in the plaza area afterwards. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, would you give me that honor of saying hi and introducing yourself to me? I'd really appreciate that. Well, as uh, Marquis said, we're going to do something a little different. We've only had this kind of conversation with our church family five times. So Copper Hills began as a church plant a little over 25 years ago. Our actual first public service was March the 15th of 1998 at a theater at 59th and Bell Road. Uh, and uh, we have seen Jesus do some remarkable things in people's lives and in their families and in their world. And I would like to this morning tell you some of those stories along the way so that we don't get sidetracked when we do what Marquis said we're going to do. We're going to talk about the expansion of our campus a little bit later. And so the, the tendency can be that we go, oh, okay, so this is about uh, like the, the campus, it's about growing, it's about building. It's No, it's not. It's about Jesus who promised his friends, he said, I am going to build my church. He did not promise to build a campus in Peoria, Arizona. He said he would build his church, which is people, that he would help people along the way understand who he was, what he had done for them, and they would experience spiritual life if they would place their trust in him and watch what he would then do through their lives. And apparently that group of people wanted to be together. And they became called, you know, like this called out group of people, the ecclesia, the church. It didn't start as a formal organization. But along the way, organization happens and it can actually facilitate what Jesus is about. And so can a campus facilitate. But it's always never forget. It's about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Merciful, the Good, the Great, the Son of the Living God. Yeah, that you can applaud for. However, in this time, he has placed us here. And there's a little bit of 
history of his goodness that I would love to worship him through telling you those stories. As I said, this is the fifth time we've had this kind of conversation about a need of some kind that our church had, some material kind of need. And we went to our church family and simply presented the need and gave people the opportunity to participate in it if they felt so called by Jesus to do that. And so we're going to have one of those conversations together. If you're a guest of ours, this would be the time where you can nod off, okay? It's okay. This is kind of insider stuff. But if you want to come for the ride, we're glad that you're here. So first time we had this kind of conversation, we were about two years old meeting at a school at 67th and 101 in that neighborhood. And that was the neighborhood that we really felt Jesus had invited us to start Copper Hills in. And uh, it was a brand new school, so we were kind of breaking it in, and they were kind of breaking us in, and uh, we had access to their multi-purpose room, but uh, we didn't have access to chairs other than chairs that were stored outside during the week. You know where this is going? So every Sunday, we would come early, and we would set things up. We would roll those chairs in from outside, and we had a crew of people who would wash all of the chairs. And occasionally they would miss a chair or two, and people would go home with an imprint of the chair on their backside. And that's just the way that it worked. Like rugged, crusty kinds of days early on where you don't have the resources and you don't have the personnel, but you got a burning vision for Jesus, and everybody just does what everybody does. It's a fantastic season. It's just not sustainable. And so we realized that uh, we needed to do something different, and we needed to have some chairs that we could call our own, that we could take care of, that were soft and plush because we got sensitive backsides, right? And so we went to our church family, and we said, we would like to raise $20,000 to buy 300 chairs. We're a church of about 110 people, but we're pretty sure we're going to fill 300 chairs, right? So way out on the edge of that. Now you have to understand, that was a season financially where we had to raise money outside of our church family just to pay salaries. It was really, really lean. And so for us to go and ask for 20000 from our church, it was going to be, oh man, that's a lot. And it was for us. So after sharing it with our church for four weeks, our church contributed $20,000, and we were able to buy these chairs. Yay, right? Yeah, fantastic. And then when we moved in here, this is the ripple effect of Jesus, we had the opportunity to give those 300 chairs to a brand new church plant that was just starting so they would never have to sit on dirty chairs again. So cool the way we had a chance to give those away. That was very simply like one of these conversations early on. Then we had a second conversation some years later when there were now like almost a couple of hundred of us who were part of the church. And uh, we realized that this model of church of kind of portable setup teardown wasn't sustainable. Not only because it was so taxing on our setup, t- setup teams, but we were kind of this disappearing church. We would show up early Sunday morning, set stuff up, put signs out. You've seen how that works, right? Do our service tear everything down, and by noon, no one knew that we were around, except for the real church living in the community. But, you know, statistics aren't all that good for longevity of churches that do the setup and tear down thing. Like, most churches that do that as new church plants don't live beyond five years. You might be interested to know we did it for 17 and a half years. Isn't that amazing? 
Yeah, that's amazing. God's good in that, right? And we have a lot of broken toes and broken fingers and all that stuff from all the setup. But, but so five years into it, we're thinking we have to figure out an answer for this. We cannot just set up and tear down and be this disappearing church. And so we began to look for property, something that we could build on, something that we could maybe renovate, uh, even lease for that matter would be fine. So over the course of the next years, we tried to purchase five different pieces of property or buildings. And none of them worked out for us. Over that course of time, we had raised, scrimped, saved, put together $98,000 in a building fund. Not bad for a little struggling little church, right? So uh, some of the buildings and, and properties that we looked at, this is what would happen. We had a 10-acre parcel of land that we got at just a great price until we did some research on the land itself, and it was a contaminated landfill site. So that wasn't going to work out. Another building had asbestos in it, so that wasn't going to work. So just, we got to thinking, is it ever, God, are you ever going to give us a place we could call home, that we could do ministry through the week, that we could not just be in homes through the week, but like through, like have a place to gather? And so uh, we began to look. And then one Saturday, my family and I were on vacation coming back from San Francisco, and I got a call on my flip phone. Those are popular again. My flip phone. And I saw who it was. <laughs> That's great. I saw who it was. It was the guy that was heading our search team for property. And so I go, hey, pick up the phone. And I know we're connected, but there's no, like, there's no response. And then about 30 seconds into it, after going, hey, like, hello, 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 I hear him crying. And the first thing I think of is, oh, no, some tragedy of some kind has happened. And I go, Steve, Steve, are you okay? Is everything all right? And after a while, he finally chokes out these words, I think I'm standing on our property. And I was like, I'm crying on the phone now because this has been so long, right? And I said, tell me the details. And he said, well, it's like eight miles away from where we currently are meeting. Now, that's not so good. Uh, it's, uh, we needed 10 acres. It's 3.3 acres. Well, that's not good news. Like, how are we going to do on 3.3? And it's $1.2 million. We have $98,000 in the bank. How do you do that, right? Like, how does that possibly work? Till I came and I stood on this property. Until today, I can still feel that same sense of this is destiny. This is where I want you to be. The details of how you get here, we're going to work out. But, but be here. I know it's too small. I know it's eight miles away. I know you can't afford it. But what if? What if I did something in, in the church as a whole? And so we just trusted Jesus with it. And so we talked to the owner. He wasn't going to budge on the price, $1.2 million. And he said, and by the way, it's a 30-day close. Oh, well, that changes it a little bit. Uh, and I want $25,000 of earnest money. So we went back to him and we pleaded, can you give us a little more time? This is our real situation. We got less than $100,000. We're going to have to raise that from within our church family, secure a loan. Can you help us? Like, can you do something? So I'll do this for you. If you put another $5,000 into earnest, I'll give you 15 more days. So we got 45 days, and we went for it. And so we signed the deal and uh, put at risk one-third of what we had in the bank for this. And we simply went to our church family and said, we think this is an opportunity. Would you think and pray with us? 
Because if Jesus isn't in it, we're ready to let the 30,000 go and be done with it. But if we think together Jesus is in this, then let's do this together for his fame. And so we began to raise funds within our church family, and 45 days came. And we weren't anywhere close to where we needed to be. Because we're really smart people, we said, well, let's not call the owner. Let's just wait till he calls us. If he was so hot and bothered about closing so quickly, he can call us. 45 days comes, he doesn't call. 60 days come, he doesn't call. We're still trying to raise funds. 90 days, we have now raised the additional 200 plus thousand dollars plus the almost 100 we had that we could put a down payment on this particular property. We'd found a lender that would help us. And so we uh, decide now, like 90 days, maybe we should call the owner because we haven't heard. And so we called the owner and we didn't get a call back. Week. After week, after week, we don't get a call back. We're starting to get nervous now. Something has happened again that we're not going to get it. Something, uh, and, he, and, he, and he calls at five months, 150 days. He wanted 30, got, and then asked for 45 days closing. So we go, let's do it. Let's grab it. So we had the resources. We signed the papers, closed the deal. We own this property. And then we asked the owner, can you tell us something? Can you tell us why you were so set on 30 days and you squeaked 15 extra for us and you wanted more? I'm like, what? And then you waited for so long. Like, what happened? And he said, well, we don't know exactly what happened, but I was ready to call at the 45-day mark and close the deal. And then we couldn't find an essential document that we needed for the closing. We went searching for it. And for the last two and a half months, we've been looking for it. Just a couple of weeks ago, it showed up in someone's inbox. And we don't know exactly how it got there, but let's close. And we said, let's close. We think we know how it got there. See, that's the goodness of Jesus, right? When he's got something up and he just looks for people like, would you want to join me on this adventure of reaching the whole world for myself? Would you? Would you be willing to pay and invest and sacrifice? Because I'll always do what I promise. Because I'm a promise keeper and I never say I'll do something if I'm not going to do it. And part of the adventure is figuring out whether it's really me or whether it's just you. But, you know, we learn that in the process. And then you look on the backside and you go, that was you. Your fingerprints were on that. And it's marvelous to think as a church family that's some of our history, right? So that's the second conversation. The third conversation like this happened around the time where we were thinking, okay, so we own this property. It's 2008 and 2009. Our property instantly increased in value from 1.2 to 785,000. You remember those days, right? Right? Terrible investment. But we said, this is a perfect time to try to raise some funds within our church family to you know, they're planning to build something on this site. And so we began that process with our church family. And then two pivotal things happened. The first thing that happened was this. Uh, we decided that what we were going to do is we were going to raise funds for a building that we were going to be a tenant in. Now, let me explain that. We had it in our minds to build something for our community that our community would see as their building. We would occupy it. We would be the primary user, but it would be their building. Okay, try that one for, like, raise money on this premise. It's a recession. Going to raise money so someone else has a building. We'll maintain it. We'll pay the mortgage. 
But believe it or not, that captured the attention and the vision of our church because we realized this, that our community would not think of just any old building as their building. You build a white church with a white steeple, there's a wonderful idea behind that. But that communicates that it's for people who are inside and belong to it. Where we wanted people who were outside to find the love of Christ and to see who he is. And if part of that was a tool in the community that they would use throughout the week, we thought that was a bonus, that we thought that was great. And so I went to every civic leader that would give me half an hour of their time. And I asked this question, what can we build in our community that our community would see as their building? One of the people I met with was our current mayor. She was a councilwoman at that time, met her at a Mimi's at 75th and Bell. And I asked the question and I caught her rolling her eyes. Now, we've laughed together about this over the years. It's kind of a, like our own experience together. And she, so I said, like, Kathy, I saw that. Like, why were you rolling your eyes? She says, you want the truth? I said, yeah, I want the truth. She said, okay. So I deal with developers. I deal with other organizations and churches. And this is what that means when they say, we want to build something for the community. We want to have some concessions from the city. Because isn't it wonderful? We're building this wonderful thing for the city. Now, can we you know, not have as many parking spots as we need? Or can we not pay for off-site development? And that's what it means. And I said right away, Kathy, no, 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 no. We really, really want to build something for our community. We're just not sure what to build. Would you help us with that? And the interesting thing is she and every other civic leader that I talked to said essentially the same thing. They said, if you're going to build something for the community in Northwest Peoria like this, don't build something that's kind of an, an academic facility, classrooms and so on. There's lots of those opportunities in our community. One more unit or building like that won't, won't be helpful. Don't build an athletic facility because there's lots of those opportunities throughout our community. Besides, there's a fantastic church just up the way that has 5,000 kids on their campus every week teaching them basketball and Jesus, uh, soccer and Jesus. Like, don't do that. But you know what there isn't in our community? is a consistent, stable place where children, students, and parents can express their artistic interests. Every time there's a downturn in the economy, the schools chop those programs. Mom and pop little dance studios and music studios and so on go out of business because it's seen as discretionary funding. And so there isn't a stable place for people to learn how to use their arts and develop that. And we thought, well, we can do something like that. So we hired an architect and said, we want to build a center for the performing arts. So live theater and music and all of that stuff. I am as non-musical as it gets. But I could see in my own mind's eye, what if we had a young student come here to learn piano, and over the course of a 13-week semester, they're taught by the finest pianist that we can find who wants to coach and teach, but... They love Jesus more than they love playing piano. And that youngster would sit with them week after week. What are the chances that there would be some kind of, that Jesus would rub off in their lives? And so that was the kind of this ethereal dream of what we had. There's a second pivotal thing that happened is we ran into a passage of scripture. It had actually always been there. It didn't just show up when we found it. It is a very common, well-known passage of scripture. You've heard it here before. But it was like, I don't know how to explain it, but it was like Jesus said, that's for you. 
That's what you're supposed to be about. Will you be like me in this story? But figure out how to do that in your culture, in your context, because I'm still about that. That still is my heart for people. So would you figure out with me how you as a church could do that? Well, what's the that, right? Well, it's a story that's taken from John chapter 4. It's a fantastic story. It's a story where Jesus, early on in his public ministry, is with his gang of guys down in the Jerusalem area, and he wants to go north to Nazareth, his northern headquarters. And he makes this bizarre travel plan to go directly through the hood, through the neighborhood that he wasn't like safe in, through the area they called Samaria. Uh, Samaria and the Jewish people had been at odd for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and it really wasn't safe territory for a Jewish person to go through. There had been kind of ethnic wars and religious wars, and they just didn't get along. It wasn't dangerous, but for some, it was dangerous. But for some reason, Jesus chooses this day at this time to walk through that area. And so the first day that they're on the road, they come to this small village. It's about noon, and uh, there's a well that Jesus and his guys stop at. And he says, guys, go into town, get some lunch, bring it back. I'm just going to sit here. And so he sits there. At about noon, we're told, a woman comes to get some water. She had done that one before. I don't know how many years maybe she had come and gathered water to for her family, for her animals, for her plants, those kinds of things. It was water at a well. But on this particular occasion, her life is going to change because of a conversation with Jesus. You hear this around here. Take notice and take interest because that's what Jesus does. So she comes for water. Jesus engages her in a conversation. He notices her, like notices her as a person. And then he has a conversation because he's interested in her. He's really interested in her. And so as conversations develop, we don't know exactly how long it took. I think there's maybe more to the story than is recorded. But they have this conversation in the course of it she feels safe enough to share some personal things in her life. And it's a really sad story. I mean, it, it ought to move us when we think of it. She, she had been married five times to five different guys, and either the marriages didn't work out or I don't know, she took them out. I don't know what happened, like, but it's just bad, right? It's just bad because now she's living with a guy that she's not married with because it's like she's given up on marriage. And if you can somehow put yourself in her shoes, you kind of get a sense of what a tragedy this is. But Jesus lovingly and graciously, without condemnation, engages her in the conversation and they begin to talk about that. And then Jesus says something along this line to her. He says, uh, you know, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, referring to the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Wow. Indeed, the water I give them is more than just quenching a physical thirst. It's going to become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What he's telling her is you can have a whole new start. You can have a new day. The past can be prologue and the future is with me. But it doesn't just start with a positive attitude and a new outlook. I'm actually going to create spiritual life inside of you. And it's going to go with you all the time. And you'll have a new perpetual worldview. And it's going to last all the way into eternity with me. Would you be interested in that? And she evidently somehow through some skepticism initially gets to the place and says, that's what I want. And something changes inside of her. Because this is what happens. 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people where she must have been marginalized because her morality would have been far different from theirs, come see a man who told me everything I ever did and evidently didn't condemn me for it. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and they made their way toward him because they saw something in her that captivated them and they wanted some of what she had. In fact, it makes such a profound difference that we see this happening. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, changed his travel plans. And because of his words, many more became believers because it became real to them. This is how real it becomes to them. It says, they said to the woman, hey, look at You told us, but we no longer believe just because of what you said. We've now heard ourselves, and we know this man really is not just a good communicator and a positive role model. He is the savior of the world. I just guess this. She's got a brand new relationship with the dude she lives with when she gets home. I think so. I think she saw that all differently. I think the people in the community, when they discovered who Jesus was, they saw each other differently, and they saw their lives differently. And how far did that ripple effect go? Did a whole group get changed because of this chance conversation? So in the middle of a recession, we tried to raise $800,000 to help secure a loan to be able to build this room and a far room across the plaza. And Jesus generously provided, and we hit that target, and then we were able to build those two buildings. It's so fascinating to me. In the middle of this kind of design phase for what we have here, we originally were going to build the building Caddy Corner, which is our kids' area, and what is now our mini auditorium, would seat about 300 people or so. It's Sunday afternoon. Uh, I'm at a wedding, and uh, a friend is there as well, and he's asking about our project. And I tell him a little bit about the project, and he says, can you show me? Well, I just happened, just happened to have a set of blueprints with me. Just happened. I carry these things because anybody who wanted to talk, I wanted to talk. So I roll them out on the table in the restaurant, and he's looking at it and going, he says, why are you building a 300-seat auditorium when the goal and the plan is a 500-seat theater? I go, okay, so we're, we're only a church of a couple of hundred people. We're about to step into this kind of indebtedness. We don't know that we can raise this amount of money. It just seems there's a certain amount of faith mixed with realism here that we should we should do that instead. He said, well, I got a question for you. Now, you'll all know the answer to this question when I ask it. He said, if you could build a 500-seat theater for the same price that you can build the 300-seat auditorium, would you do it? I said, yeah. And then he said this, then I'm going to make that happen for Jesus in the church. And he did. Like, that's the amazing thing of how Jesus, when Jesus wants something to happen, he makes it happen with willing people who will faithfully say, that's what we want to be a part of. So we built these, and then we had a fourth conversation. We were really going to take seriously this idea of these conversations that Jesus had around the well. So we had built a facility, but the arts part of it hadn't been fully developed. And we said, so let's build an arts facility where we can actually have an academy or a center for the arts. And so that's what we built in the last phase a couple of years ago. And then we did this. We thought, what is the modern equivalent of a water well in our culture? Coffee. Oh, yeah. Essential for life, right? 
So we visited the top five coffee shops in our city. And we said, teach us how to do coffee because we don't want to do like a church coffee shop. We want to do something that would grab the attention of our community so they would come and they would hang out here and they would be present and we could have those kinds of Jesus conversations with them. And so we built, you may not know why the coffee shop is called The Well. It's why it's called The Well. Because of those conversations that Jesus had, we want to have, and they're happening. It's just amazing to hear the conversations of young students that are taking lessons. We've got... We've got this amazing dance teacher who loves to dance and teach dance, but loves Jesus more than she loves dance and teaching dance. At the end of every semester, she will meet with parents who fill the room and speak a blessing over every one of her little dance students with something special about them. It sounds so much like what Jesus would say to them. And she builds them up, and she has these conversations around Jesus, and she prays with them, and she prays for them. That's what that's about. Just this last week, I was walking through the lobby area or through the plaza area, and uh, there was a gentleman standing or sitting at one of the tables, and I didn't recognize him. It's not uncommon. I walked through the plaza, did what I needed to do, and I'm heading back the other way, and he's still sitting there. So I just went over to him. I said, hey, uh, I'm Brad. How are you? Good day. He gave me his name. I said, have you been coming here for a while? He said, no, this is my first day. I didn't even know this was here. I went, oh, well, what drew you here? He said, well, I wanted to be part of the AA meeting that happens here on campus over, over lunch hour. I said, oh, man, that's not today. That's tomorrow. Can I get you the exact time? He said, no, no, I can look that up. But he said, this is more than a coffee shop, right? He said, no, it's a coffee shop. It's for our community. He said, no, 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 I've been looking around. When, when I saw the other buildings and stuff, I've been looking in the glass and whatnot. This is a church, isn't it? And I went, well, it's a place where people who love Jesus gather and But it's more than that. It's actually a performing arts center is what it is because we want to give this back to our community. And we had this wonderful conversation about about his life and about why church isn't part of his story right now. But church could be part of his story in the future. That's a starting point. It happens every week on this campus because the vision of what Jesus gave us is clear. So... We raised some additional funds for that. That was the fourth conversation. This is the fifth conversation. Okay, so I am so thrilled to tell you that we want to expand our campus to carry on with the mission and vision that Jesus has given us. From time to time, if you've been in the coffee shop, you know those conversations are happening, but you can just watch from a distance because you can't sit anywhere. There aren't any chairs available. Because it's full, especially now as the weather is cooling a little bit and we open those doors up, they'll spill out into the plaza. But for five months of the year, it's difficult to use that plaza for that purpose. Have you noticed this? Five, six months of the year, we end our service, our gathering here, and people jet out the door and head to their cars because it's a heat island out there. It's just too hot for people to gather for fellowship. Do you know that sitting in rows aren't our deal here? It's gathering in circles together where we're sharing life together. So we want to turn that plaza area into air-conditioned space that would resemble like a living room space with pods of couches and side tables and lamps and where people can gather, life groups can gather. We can do art shows that help display the art that our artists are producing in our Center for the Arts, where more of those conversations that happen in the well can happen in that air-conditioned space, and we can use it 12 months of the year for that. Do you know that that plaza area is the only space left on this campus to develop for that kind of space? We can't increase the size of the footprint. We're maxed out on our parking. 
But that's one space that we can claim back and use for this purpose. It's part of the original plan, but we think this is the time to do it. We feel compelled that we should do as we've done four other times. Here's what we're thinking. What are you thinking? Would you want to be part of something like this? Do you feel Jesus would lead you in this way to be part of it? So can I show you a little bit of what we're thinking? Here's a rendering of the outside look toward that plaza. So there's glass walls on both ends. You might barely be able to see a mezzanine up against the glass wall, but it provides that air-conditioned space for us throughout the year. Here's a shot from the inside. You can see a mezzanine area to the left side of your screen. And then the doors that you came in out of the plaza today, those we hope... We hope we can take those away and open that all up to a large, larger area where groups of uh, 150, 200 could meet in that area. But again, it's living room space where conversations can happen. And here's one more shot from the bridge that you see outside out toward the parking lot. So the mezzanine area, you can see that. But the whole idea, like that's the structure. The whole idea I want to emphasize again is it's just a continuation of the mission and vision that Jesus has given us. And we think this is the next step in fulfilling that. So there's a cost to this, right? Here's what it looks like. It's going to cost us $1.9 million to build that space. Okay? Do you know that's a lot of money? It is. Can I tell you the good news? We've already raised $500,000 toward that. So that is the generosity of people who have given along the way. It's also a credit to our people who manage our finances. And every month, they've been taking a little bit of money and putting it into a building fund while at the same time reducing our current indebtedness and meeting all of the obligations we have. We have such a crackerjack team of really carefully-minded financial people that look after things. But that's a great start. So what we're trying to raise is $1.4 million. And we think that's doable. We really do. And so we want to simply invite you, if you understand what we're doing and what we're thinking about, to do this. Ask Jesus what he might have you do. He might say, don't participate. Yeah, that's okay. He might say, participate to this. Or he might say, like, stretch it way out. Like, do this. Do you, you know why I'm so confident in him? Because of what he's done in the past. And because our view of our possessions are this. They actually don't belong to us. They belong to him And he lets us steward them. And he is so lavish. We really enjoy life. We really do. And then he gives more and beyond that. And he gives us the freedom to make those choices of what we do with it. And we all have that freedom. That's why our suggestion as elders and staff is talk to him. See what he would say. Alfie and I have had these conversations every time we've done one of these. And they are so interesting, these conversations. They really are. Do you know that we don't agree on what what we should do? But it's the conversation that's so healthy for our relationship and our finances. You know what it does? It takes us back to the beginning of answering the question once again, who owns our stuff? And then once we settle that, now we can have a conversation back and forth about what we could do, what we might want to do, what Jesus would ask us to do. He stretched us every single time, but he's been like ridiculously good to us if you measure it financially. But if you measure it beyond that, it can't be measured. How faithful and good and lavish in his grace he's been to us. I know that's your story too. So I simply would toss it out to you and say, hey, check with Jesus. Should I participate? If I should, to what degree? Now, how might you figure that out? Well, 
We're going to hand out these pledge cards just like this. Our hosts are coming right now to hand those out. And what you'll see is, you'll see, because we do our finances differently, each family does it a little differently. Some of us uh, do our accounting kind of at the end of the year, and we make our donation at the end of the year. And so if you want to do that like a one time before the end of this year, feel free to do that. But some of us uh, kind of get paid week to week, month to month, that kind of thing. And so you might look at, look at 2023, every week or every month, I want to set aside this amount of money to support what Jesus is doing here. And that's how you can record it. You might have some other way that you want to do it, but that's trying to fill in a few blanks for you. There's an envelope that you're getting with it as well. And uh, what I would love for you to do is take this, take it home, pray together if you do that as a couple or as a family, and then bring this back on October the 30th. Now, you can also do this online, and that website will be up and running this week. But this is one way that you can do it. And then we'll celebrate together where we're at and what we're going to do together. Also on the back of it, because this is really so much is checking in with Jesus, is there are some things that you can pray for specifically related to this project. Take that home. Maybe make that a matter of uh, prayer as a family, as a whole. And... Uh, yeah, uh, process that and, and do that together. These are wonderful times and days at Copper Hills. We know coming out of COVID, isolation had a real effect on us. And that's why uh, we've actually switched around some of the phases. There was another phase we were going to do first, but we really believe that that social space that we're creating will be a space that's used for uh, encouragement for one another but also opportunities, again, to have those conversations around Jesus. I think, I really do believe this. I've seen it happen in my own world, that when those conversations in the Jesus style of how he does it, by taking notice of people and then taking interest in them, not trying to sell them something or convince them of something or tell them they're wrong or their lifestyle isn't right or they don't believe the Bible or their faith is misplaced. Uh-uh. Take notice. Find out about them. Who are they? What's their story? How did they get here? And then just take interest in their story. Let Jesus guide the conversation. It may take many conversations, but that's so unusual in this post-COVID world. But we're unusual people. We're actually a little odd because we're the ones that Jesus took notice in, saw our greatest need, and said, I can do something about that. And then he did it. And he came and he rescued us, offered to give us this new spiritual life, this spring bubbling in us. And for those of us that have discovered that, it's the best decision we've ever made. And for those of you that might not have discovered that yet, it's the best decision you ever will make. Because this is the power of Christ in the human life. So, can we do this? Let's stand. Let's pray together. Let's commit this to him and whatever he wants and then have a great Sunday. Now, Jesus, we hold our lives out to you. The truth is, some of us experienced this new life in you a long time ago, and it almost feels at times like the spring has been shut off. It's been a while since we've heard your voice. It's been a while since we've felt the breath of your encouragement, or that quiet whisper that we have to slow down and listen to that's just filled with hope. Jesus, would you breathe through us again as we turn to you over 
Like, what should we do? Would you make it for us way more, way more than expanding a campus and make it about, once again, reorienting our lives to you and holding our things loosely? You can be trusted with it. You've given this to us. Would you help us now as families have conversations, husbands and wives and children with parents and parents with children around this? May it be these wonderful, joyful, optimistic, faith-filled kinds of conversations. And then, of course, Jesus. If in the course of our conversation today, there are some that would go, I don't understand that spring of life inside of me. I don't have that. But as I think about that picture of Jesus bringing new hope to that woman and how she experienced something that just radically renewed her life and changed who she was, I want that. Jesus says, people might whisper that out to you every single time you've responded, and would you do so again this morning? And so, as we go and live this week, Jesus, could we ask you once again, as we do each week, would you bless us, and would you keep us? Would you make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us like you always are? Would you lift up your countenance to us and flood us with the wonder of your peace? Thank you, King Jesus. We love you back. Amen. Have a wonderful week, everybody.